Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Brought to you by Facebook. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, the music industry's merger mess and Trump's big contradiction on Huawei. But first, America's never-ending economic boom. So today is the first day of July, and this month marks the longest period of time that the U.S. has gone without an economic recession, ever, 121 months, beating the previous record set in the early 2000s after the dot-com bubble crash. Now, of course, this will end at some point because all economic growth eventually ends in recession. And there are some worrying indicators like an anticipated slowdown in Q2 economic growth, an inverted treasury yield curve, and a massive proliferation of corporate debt that even the Federal Reserve has called troubling. But the reality here is that the bears have been roaring for well over a year, and the economy continues to merrily chug along, so much so that we're beginning to see an interesting reversal of position in presidential politics. Remember 2016? President Trump regularly railed against Obama's stewardship of the economy, even though it had recovered from the financial crisis. It was a populist message about how things are worse than they appear. Hillary Clinton and the Democrats, meanwhile, were largely status quo on the economy, regularly marveling at what Obama had done. Today, Democrats do acknowledge the stock market gains and low unemployment. They're obvious. You, you can't avoid them. But the Democrats are also laser focused on economic inequality and how the growth story has been relatively exclusive to the wealthy. In other words, things are worse than they appear. Trump economic advisor Larry Kudlow, however, was asked about economic inequality yesterday on Fox News Sunday and basically said he didn't understand what the Democrats are talking about. All economic systems go. The positions have switched, really based on who's in power. The big variable here is what happens over the next 18 months. And in 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on that with Axios Markets reporter Courtney Brown. But first, this. We've all seen online ads that seem perfectly tailored to us. And now we have better ways to learn how this works. Visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. We're joined now by Axios Markets reporter Courtney Brown. So, Courtney, give me the bear case here. Why is this economic growth that we're now at month 121, why is it going to end at some point in the relatively near future? Okay, I want to put my optimistic hat on for just a quick sec before I put my pessimistic hat on. All I right, mean, all right. You, you can be happy. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of amazing, the durability of this cycle. I think what pessimists will say is that this economic expansion has been uh, longer, but it has been weaker than economic expansion in the past. But I think that in and of itself is actually the reason why um, the, the economic cycle has uh, kind of uh, sustained for this amount of period of time. I mean, we've had we've had weak spots, notably the slowdown in 2015, 2016, and, and other bouts of panic, including the one that we're in right now with the trade war, which has definitely uh, dampened business and consumer confidence. I mean, it's it's um, it's a really really cool milestone that we're hitting, but it's just kind of ironic that it's as far as sentiment is concerned, it's probably one of the most pessimistic moments over the course of the last 10 years. So let me ask you about a couple of things you said in there. And the first is the the kind of the term that always gets thrown around is sluggishness of, of this recovery, you know, going back to post-financial crisis, you know, 2010, 2011. It, it's something it, it's interesting because it's something particularly Republicans criticize the Obama administration for. Right. You know, the slowest recovery, the slowest recovery. But but you're basically arguing in part, at least, that the reason we have hit this milestone is because of the sluggishness, right? That, that if we had ramped up really, really quickly, we could already be in recession, that, that the slowness was almost a feature, not a bug. Right. 
What economists tell me, as I was doing some reporting for this story, I spoke to a few economists who said that there haven't been the types, the types of signs of over-exuberance that have ended um, the last few economic cycles. And that's kind of, you know, we've had this trade-off between the pace of growth and durability. And that has happened because there hasn't been as much opportunity as perhaps in other economic cycles for um, kind of, you know, exuberance. Is this, you know, you talked about the trade tensions, you know, this is a particularly fraught time for, for economic expansion, given the trade tensions. And, and so I'll, I'll, I'll play White House press secretary here for a minute and, and ask you, is this if you're going to do this, if you're going to have major, major trade negotiations and kind of um, confrontational ones with China, let alone with Mexico, isn't that isn't there a good argument to say now is the time, right? We had large enough and have large enough GDP growth that this is when we can take that hit. Maybe. I think there's there's a case to be made for that for sure, especially if you're in the, the Trump administration. I mean, Q1 GDP was quite good, 3.1%. And I know economists argue that there's some underlying weakness in those numbers. But but I think I think at the same time, um, there's this level of uncertainty that even, you know, we got this U.S.-China trade truce. But, I mean, do you remember the last time we had a trade truce? Um, yeah, they don't last long. They last as long as right. it's been. Exactly. And so if you're running a major corporation right now and you want to spend some money, you want to build a new building, do you do it now? Probably not. You're like, I have I have no idea what's going to happen over the course of the next three months, six months. And this administration has kind of showed time and time and time and time again, it's not afraid to weaponize tariffs in order to get what it wants. And I think as a CEO, that's a little bit frightening. You know what I mean? They're not willing to do that. They, they've also – I mean you cover the Fed a lot, and you, every time Jay Powell goes and makes a speech, you're, you're there and you ask him a good question. Give me a thought. I mean how much of you know the fact that we're this 121 months, do we get to a you know crazy number? Do we get to 160, 170 because of the Fed? In other words, is the Fed, which used to have multiple mandates, really now primarily focused on maintaining kind of short, immediate growth? Yeah, I mean, I think another defining factor of this economic cycle is just how low interest, interest rates have been over the course of the last 10 years. And um, possibly as soon as next month, we may see a little bit of a reversal of some of the tightening that did happen last year. And it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because the sentiment from the Fed has changed. You know, they used to talk about policy normalization, right, over the last uh, few years or so. I haven't heard the Fed say that or use that term in a while. Now they're talking about sustaining the economic expansion. This is something that Fed, uh, uh, Fed presidents and, and Powell have said over the course of the last few weeks. And I think it's become clear that the Fed maybe doesn't think that policy normalization and uh, sustaining the economic uh, boom, they don't think those two things, in my opinion, they don't think those two things can happen at the same time. And that's that's interesting because – um, it, it seems like their priority is to kind of react to whatever's happening in the economy, and that's always been their priority. But now they really, really want to do whatever it takes almost to keep this economic expansion going. Courtney, final question for you, and you have to pull this off in 30 seconds, and, and it's this. Uh, the U.S. Uh, Treasury yield curve has now been inverted for over a month, and that is viewed by many people as a giant blinking warning sign, recession, recession, recession around the corner. So quickly – what is the U.S. yield curve? Why does it matter that it's inverted? I think it's repu- the reason why it matters is because it's been right in the past. 
you know what I mean? I think there's this, one of the most interesting things happening right now is the difference between what's happening in the stock market, which is not worried about a recession at all. Um, no, up and to the right, constantly up and to the right. Yeah, yeah the S&P hit a new intraday high today. Uh, and then you look at the bond market and it's like almost a recession is already here. Um, so just that 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 interesting dynamic. And then I think the other thing is, and we've written this in a past, in the past, there's kind of this self-fulfilling dynamic uh, when it comes to a recession. Like people look at the yield curve and they're like, oh, crap. Uh, this, this this indicator has been right in the past. If I'm a business, should I maybe hold off on spending? If I'm a consumer, maybe I shouldn't be spending so much. Maybe I should I should save more money. And I think that can definitely dampen growth. Growth. Just this idea that like we have gone ten years and counting without a recession. Maybe one is coming soon. Courtney Brown, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. So about those online ads, one way it works is advertisers look for categories of people with similar characteristics, like millennials who like hiking gear. To learn more, visit facebook.com slash about slash ads. Now it's time for my final two, and first up is a brewing merger mess in the music world. Yesterday morning, yep, Sunday morning, there was an announcement that a media group called Ithaca Holdings had purchased Big Machine a record label best known for being Taylor Swift's home until last year. It was interesting because Ithaca, led by Justin Bieber manager Scooter Braun, had quietly been buying stakes in major music labels for years. And this was a control deal that added not just Swift's back catalog, but also big country artists like Florida Georgia Line and Rascal Flatts. But what was at first worthy of just some trade pub mention quickly went viral when Swift slammed the deal on social media, claiming that Braun had, quote, bullied her in the past and that Big Machine didn't give her a heads up. Her sharpest line for Braun and Big Machine founder Scott Borchetta was this, quote, he knew what he was doing. They both did. Controlling a woman who didn't want to be associated with them, end quote. So lots of denials from the other side on both the specifics and the context. But this thing is now a PR debacle. And in music management, relationships are everything. And finally this morning, President Trump over the weekend seems to have partially reversed his ban on U.S. tech companies from doing business with China's Huawei restrictions originally based on national security concerns. But details of the softening remain a bit spotty and already are running into some opposition from GOP senators like Marco Rubio. More importantly, they are confusing policy. The reversal seems to be based on Trump's desire to tamp down on trade tensions with China, which he helped exacerbate in the first place. But if the Huawei ban was really about national security, then how can it be reasonably used as a chip in a trade fight? We'd let an adversary access our future 5G networks for some short-term economic gain? Per usual with the White House trade tactics, more questions than answers, still. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Terrence Malangon, have a great National Ginger Snap Cookie Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.